What is up, guys? Welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. Today, we got a local Fort Wayne guest that I think does a lot of uh, deals down in Indianapolis, but yeah. Tony's going to introduce him. This is Brett Snodgrass. He has uh, built rental portfolios. He's flipped and wholesaled a lot of properties, especially down in Indianapolis. He's been on the Bigger Pockets podcast. We just got done being on his podcast. And uh, I looked at a little, a little bit of his social media. I was stalking him to find, <laughs> find figure out some more things about him. Uh, it looks like the majority of what he's promoting right now is Iron Deep, which is a program for men. Uh, specifically, you go out to the West Coast. Looks like Utah. There's some different, you know, uh, desert area, uh, yeah. fun places to go. Um, but just to help individuals connect more with their faith, this is Brett. Snodgrass. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Tony, Dakota. On, yeah. What's going on? <laughs> Excited to be here. Locals. I don't get to get in the studio very much in Fort Wayne, so you guys yeah. are legends. Living the dream. Yeah. Have me on. <laughs> Do you, have you heard about us before? I did. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, one of our private lenders that oh, uh, yeah. that we worked, I've worked with for years um, mentioned you guys. Wow. And he said, yeah, you guys got to know uh, Dakota and Tony with LTD and... Uh, yeah, that was honestly probably a couple of years ago, and I just I didn't reach out or anything, and you guys just kind of reached out, podcasting, and uh, welcome to the podcast train. I've That's been doing awesome. it for a while, so thanks yeah. for being on my podcast. Yes, sir. Yeah, Love it. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate? It's not like what you see on HGTV. We created a course to show you how to really invest and create a profitable flipping and wholesaling business. We show you where to find the money, how to find the deals, and how to negotiate the deals. We go over live sales calls, including negotiations, scripts, role-playing, and so much more. Everything that you need to know to flip houses is in this course. And if there's a video that we didn't make that you want, we'll make it for you. This knowledge has made us well over a million dollars, and it's available right now for $9.97. Click the link below. Buy the course. So uh, how did you originally get started? Because we know that or it looked like you spent a lot of time in Indianapolis. Is that kind of where you grew up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, actually, uh, I've always been in Indiana, but my dad was a high school teacher and he was a high school basketball coach. So we moved around a lot. This was back in the 90s, and uh, that was when it was one class. I don't know if you guys remember that, but the movie Hoosiers, you guys ever seen that? No? Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of like uh, my house growing up. My dad was basketball coach for 25 years, teacher. My mom was an elementary school teacher and a very middle-class family. Um, but yeah, we live mostly in Southern Indiana, but how I really got into just kind of real estate was um, I graduated from Huntington University. I played basketball in college and then I was supposed to be a teacher. So I got an education degree and um, I taught for about one year and I said, you know what, this just isn't for me. And I wanted to be uh, in business and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, so just started reading some books, you know, just like everybody else, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Millionaire Next Door, um, you know, How to Be a Millionaire Real Estate Investor. And that really just kind of got me hooked. And uh, I knew a guy doing some land flips down in Southern Indiana and started working with him, honestly, as kind of a bird dog and found him some deals and uh, started making some money. And that really kind of got me interested in real estate and then we bought our first house me and my dad together in 2007 so it's been it's been quite the ride 16 about 16 years now wow. and we've done a few thousand i guess properties it's been pretty fun Jeez, i didn't know you're like the og <laughs> yeah i don't know about that but it was a it was a blessing in my life a good time and uh, we've had our ups and downs uh throughout the years uh, uh got into kind of wholesaling before wholesaling was even a, a term. I mean, back in 2007, no one talked about wholesaling. Uh, it wasn't even anything out there um, wow. like it is today. So it was kind of one of those things we just bought and cleaned out and sold properties. And this is when you could buy bank-owned properties for literally pennies, pennies on the dollar and buying really cheap properties. Our first house was $9,000. Wow. And we sold for 15 and three weeks later. And then the next year we did about a hundred and stuff like that. So Jeez. it's been fun. What uh, what grade did you teach? Yeah, what? so I actually, I student taught second grade. And uh, so I was supposed to be an elementary school teacher. Um, and then I also have a high school math degree. So I taught inner city, actually inner city Fort Wayne. Wow. Math when I was about 23 or four. 
um, at Elmhurst High School. So did that for about a year, and then I said, man, this is this is hard. <laughs> so people say, like, you know, wholesaling real estate versus teaching, and I honestly think teaching is it's much harder. Mm. So And you get paid a lot less money. Pulling data lists like vacant houses, mortgage foreclosures, and tax delinquent properties is important to direct-to-seller marketing. Batch Leads is the main platform where we store our sellers' data and skip trace owners for their phone numbers, emails, and addresses. On other platforms, you end up having to pay twice for the same contact if you've already skip traced it. My favorite thing about Batch Leads is that if you skip traced a contact once, you never have to pay for that contact again. Batch Leads has SMS texting campaigns, direct mail marketing, and driving for dollars app integrated in a simple to use interface. Click the link below and try Batch Leads today. <laughs> what, did, what did you think about, or did you end up moving to like Dayton, Ohio for a little bit too? Because I, the research that I did, it displayed that as a potential. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't move to Dayton, but so when we first got started, we were buying a lot of bank-owned properties. Uh, so we were looking for different markets. So we did Indianapolis uh, and then other cities that we found were Cincinnati and then Dayton. So we did uh, three markets between 07 and maybe 2011. Uh, yeah, Cincinnati, Dayton, and Indianapolis. And then we actually ventured down to Florida for a while. So we were wow. buying in Lehigh Acres, Fort Myers, Orlando. This was back in... You can buy, again, pennies on the dollar. I remember we were buying houses literally in Lehigh Acres, two years old. So this is around 2009. These houses were built in 2007, about 1,200, 1,500 square feet. We were buying them for $45,000 wow. in, in 2009. And uh, that was crazy times. I mean, times have changed. But, uh, yeah, so I'd fly down to Florida every two weeks to look at these projects. And wow. I was single, so it was fun. <laughs> wow. So when you think about some of those markets, do you wish that you'd kept properties? Do you have any regrets? Because I know it was like yeah. 10, 15 years ago where you were like, oh man, we should have done this, could have done that, should have done this, could have done that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely wish I would have kept some properties. I mean, there's properties literally in Indianapolis that again, we buy for $5,000 that now are worth 250 mm -hmm. um, in certain areas. Yeah, those houses in Fort, uh, Florida, we buy for 45, we sell for 55, and now they're probably worth 200. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, um, I didn't have a whole lot of money and experience back then. So uh, really, we were just kind of looking for that quick nickel and just trying to get in and get out and uh, didn't have a lot of podcasts to listen to about real estate, didn't have a lot of education. So we were just kind of doing, you know, hard knocks and doing what we could. But, but yeah, hindsight is, yeah, if I knew that 10 years later, we would have been, been worth a lot more money. I wish I would have probably kept some. And, uh, and I did, I mean, I started collecting some rentals, you know, maybe four or five years ago. So those have done well, not to the extent, but, uh, what I, what they were in 2008 and nine, but, um, but yeah, I have learned along the way and, and that's how it is. I always believe that, I think you guys might've said this, is you have to build active income. So I was always just active, like, oh, quick nickels, quick nickels, let's make a lot of money. Let's get in, get out, not a lot of risk. Uh, but then you also have to build that passive wealth mm -hmm. and that's what I've really learned. So now I build active, so we still do flipping, wholesaling, wholetailing, uh, but then we put up rentals, seller financing as well, so. Awesome. Yeah. What do you think uh, is the big difference? Well, actually, let me ask you this. How, like, who are you buying those properties from? You know, the two-year-old ones, where you buying them from the bank? Where you buying them from individuals or like landlords and stuff? Mm -hmm. um, who are you buying them from? Yeah. So this is crazy. I mean, you, you're in this business so long, things shift and change so much. And I've even been preaching that today. I was talking to someone today about things are gonna change again. Mm -hmm. And we have to be ready because maybe the marketing that worked two years ago doesn't work today. We might have to go back to certain things that we used to do. Uh, so back then, literally our system was this. We would look at a bunch of MLS properties. We would put in 200 offers a month and we'd get 10 accepted, all MLS, all bank owned properties. And we'd sell those uh, to our investors. That's what we used to do for three to four or five years. That stopped working around 2010, 11, 12. So then we started fixing up and flipping. Uh, and then we did that for about three or four years. And that was hard. That's hard work. I mean, you guys know, flipping mm -hmm. properties and me and dad and mom, we would 
get in there and I'd be doing the work and putting in cabinets and sanding floors. Uh, and that was hard work. So then in 2014, I went back into wholesaling, but the market had changed. And that's when we had to go to private individual sellers. So really the first few years, it was all bank owned MLS. And then since 2014, as you guys know, it was direct mail, texting, cold calling, whatever, uh, direct, direct to seller. And that's what it's been for the last, what, eight years, nine years. Now, what, well, what are we going to do if things shift back? I mean, these are the things I'm kind of like thinking around. We're in a change right now. We're like, okay, what's going to be next? Is MLS going to come back? Right. I mean, that's what I'm saying is we start listings are going to start increasing. Could we go back to doing those offers on the MLS eventually? Mm -hmm. Will bank owned properties come back? Could we go back to the courthouse and go to sheriff sales? Will that come back? Um, uh, texting used to never be a thing two or three years ago. Now, is that going to still still be around? So I think in this market, we have to constantly pivot, constantly shift. I've shifted probably six or seven times in, in the whole 16 years that I've been doing it. How do you know when the right time to shift is? Um, I think, uh, obviously I think there's, there's change, there's change in the, in the market right now. Right. Uh, we've been shaken up a little bit. Uh, uh, the interest rates are, are shifting, changing. Um, we're seeing more listings on the market. So that's kind of shifting a little bit. Um, some of the marketing tactics, we're tracking everything. Mm. So it's like, okay, I mean, I used to be able, when I first got an indirect mail, I used to be able to send out a thousand letters and get a deal. Mm -hmm. Those days are, are almost gone. Like, can you really just, okay, I'm going to send out a thousand letters and get a deal. You can't do that as much. I mean, some people are spending three, four, 5,000. I've heard a guy today, he spent 9,000 to get one deal. Wow. Um, used to be, you could spend 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of shifted. So, you know, we're constantly tracking things. So we're always kind of shifting internally with our marketing. Um, but then, you know, we're just tracking again, listings on the MLS. Are they, are, are, are there's more listings? Are the days on the market, like, you know, the last two or three years, list them on the MLS, fly off, mm -hmm. multiple offers, crazy. Now, are you starting to see things that are, that are sitting for 90, 100 days? When you start to see stuff sitting for 90, 100 days, that's when maybe you could put in a lower offer and have potential to get that accepted. Um, so I think, yeah, just constantly tracking your data, your marketing, what's working, what's not working is, is stuff that we're just all the time tracking. Are you letting deals fall through the cracks because you don't have good systems in place? We've been there before, and honestly, we've tried several different CRMs, and RE Simply has been the absolute best. RE Simply tracks your KPIs, does automatic follow-ups for you, and even records incoming phone calls. The system is very easy to use, and honestly, it has more features than we even know what to do with. If you're looking for a great CRM, try RE Simply today. Click the link in the description below. Check it out now. Do you have a system that tracks it all or how do you track it and then how much do you spend in marketing uh, now? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, honestly, for the past two or three years, we were averaging anywhere from 30 to 35,000 a month in marketing. Okay. Uh, so we would be doing TV ads, direct mail ads, or, or just direct mail, texting, cold calling. We'd be buying lists from companies like Audantic, uh, 8020 REI, uh, you know, so we spent a few thousand there. So like used to be, again, things have shifted. We'd have to find our own lists. We'd have to go and figure out these people are behind on taxes and we have to manually create lists. These people, uh, don't take care of their properties. They have fines against them from the city. Let's manually create this list. Now you have these companies doing it for you. And, uh, and that's awesome. Um, so we were spending about 30 to 35 a month. Uh, we have backed that off. Honestly, we're only spending about, just in the past two or three months, we backed it off to about, you know, 12, or maybe half that, 12, mm -hmm. 15, uh, just because we've had some internal transitions and we've had to let a couple people go. Um, so we just, again, we don't have the bandwidth to do 30,000 a month right now in marketing. Um, but that, that's been our average for the last few years. And now we're again, we're like, okay, what's working? Um, how do we track it? We, we honestly, we don't have a big system that, that really tracks it. I mean, we use call rail as our calling system. So we know, you know, where, where the calls are coming from. Uh, we use Salesforce as our CRM system. So we know 
things get tagged, which marketing, you know, it came from. Um, so we have certain systems like that. And then we just see, you know, this is how many leads we got. This is where the deals came from. And we mostly track our cost per deal. So we say, okay, this is how much it costs per deal from how much this, does it cost from per this deal? source. Like each one just yeah. roughly. It depends on the source. Uh, but, you know, if we kind of go through last year, um, you know, it might, and sometimes I use it as we put in a dollar, how many dollars do we get back? A lot of times we'll do three to one. So we'll put in a dollar and get three back okay. on certain sources. Now, certain sources are more than that. I mean, texting has been, I mean, we'll, last year, I think we put in a dollar, we got 16 back. Wow. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's a very cheap source, but will that still be around? I mean, there's some, there's some things going on with that with, uh, um, you just got to be careful on the texting sources. Um, TV is really expensive. Um, so yeah, it just kind of depends on, on what's working. What would you say like overall your average cost per lead is? Do you know that? Mm -hmm. Per, I, I usually go off, off per deal, honestly. So like per lead, I actually, and we do track that, but I don't have that in front of me, but per deal. Yeah. It's probably, it's been about put in a dollar. We get three back. So like, so, would you say your average like cost per deal is like three grand? Yeah, about okay. three thousand. Yeah. Okay. Between three and four usually is where we're landing. Gotcha. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, are you are you licensed? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I am. Yeah. So I thought I'd seen like a one of it was like Indiana Luxury Homes, one of the mm -hmm. previous LLCs, and like mm -hmm. you had some LLCs Man. that were specifically Did some research. <laughs> <laughs> Those were Went specifically the targeting yeah. the. Uh, the regular real estate markets. Mm -hmm. How much traditional business do you do? And would you say that you're more of like an investor or would you mm -hmm. say that you're more of a realtor? Mm -hmm. Like what specifically do you brand yourself as? Yeah, we're investors. Um, so really the only reason why I got my broker's license was because uh, again, back between 2007 and, and 11, we were putting in a lot of MLS offers. Mm. Uh, so, and I was using an agent, so I hired an agent and I said, here's what we want to do. We want to put in 200 offers a month. We'll get, you know, 10 accepted and you'll get the commissions off that. So then I checked and I think she made maybe a hundred grand that year just from us. Right. And I was like, wow, you know, I want to make a hundred grand. So we just got our license so we could put in our own offers. And that's really the whole point. Uh, and I've had my license now for, yeah, I think, uh, 12, 12, 13 years. Um, but we are investors. I don't use it for retail. I don't ever list anyone's houses. We only list our own. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it really helps us cause we do a lot of the wholetailing. So we take down properties, clean them out. And then a lot of times we will list them. And again, we'll list them under our own name. So if you see our properties listed, they're, they're ours. Nice. So that's what we use it for. And we use it for to get, uh, MLS access so we can check comps and do, and do that sort of thing. So how many, uh, employees do you have? You, you talk like you have a team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we fluctuated, honestly, and we've been up to maybe, you know, I think our highest number, we are at 12, 13 employees. Um, now we have, I think like five, five local. And then we also work with a lot of virtual assistants. Okay. So we have four virtual assistants too. So what's, not, uh, what's their roles and, uh, what's your role? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So honestly, uh, I'm in this transition. So yeah, if you hear a little bit about my story or listen to our podcast. So about three years ago, I stepped out of the business just completely. Okay. Um, I had a guy named Brian Snyder. He was a teacher, uh, hired him. He kind of ranked up through the, through the ranks. I lived in Indianapolis. I moved to Fort Wayne for family. So that was a, just a huge transition in my own life. And uh, I hired him as COO. Mm. So he's running all the operations. I was still CEO. And then right before COVID hit in 2020, I was just kind of burnt out. Honestly, I've been doing this 14, 14 years or so. And I was living up in Fort Wayne. We were doing everything in Indianapolis and just kind of burnt out. Honestly, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I think I'm kind of just want to take a break for a, lot, for a while. So I offered Brian a CEO position. And I said, I want to sit in the owner's box. And uh, if you think about sports teams, I'm, I don't call the plays. I don't run the, run the teams. I don't go to the meetings. I just sit in the owner's box and root, root the team on. And that's where I've been at the last three years. Okay. Um, yeah, about two months ago, Brian got offered a full-time position with another uh, company and was kind of transitioning out. And I just kind of had made that decision uh, that I think it was time for me to, to come back in. Mm. 
uh, with the market the way it, way it was. And uh, so I've been back in as CEO the last two two months. Wow. So I'm kind of in that in that weird transition season. But what do I do uh, now? Um, I run the meetings. Um, I you know run the, run our leadership meetings. Um, you know I do the marketing, so I kind of make some decisions on that. Uh, and that's really kind of my role. I mean, I, I lead and I just, you know, pour into the team, uh, making sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and just kind of that leadership role um, hmm. now. So that's who's, my role. But what are, what are your meetings? How often do you guys meet? What are your meetings about? And then who's on the leadership team? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we meet uh, as a leadership team once a week. Um, so we do it typically over Zoom since I'm in Fort Wayne, they're in Indy. Uh, we do it once a month in person. The first okay. Friday of the month, we do it in person. So I drive down tomorrow uh, to do that. What do those look like? Uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much we use Asana. Uh, so we use the project management system and we're just going over high level, just high level things. So we use, we kind of follow the traction model, the EOS model. Mm -hmm. um, so we're sitting 90 day rocks, uh, what's going well, um, you know, what do we want to achieve these 90 days? We also go over our numbers, you know, here's how much money we're making, here's how much we're spending, um, making adjustments there. So yeah, just really high level. Uh, we talk about the team, who's doing what they're supposed to be doing, uh, why our if numbers are down, we talk about problems. Um, yeah, so just a lot about that stuff. Who's on the leadership team? Yeah, so right now it's me and uh, Randy Placencia. He is our disp uh, disp dispositions manager. He's also kind of our sales director. So he does our dispo where he sells all the properties. Plus he trains our acquisitions team. Wow. So he's like, he's pretty busy guy. And then our head acquisitions guy uh, is in that meeting as well. So just three people, three people. Okay. So how many salespeople do you guys have there? Or how many acquisitions guys is it just the one? So right now, just just the one, our acquisition manager. Then we got two lead managers too. So these okay. lead managers are the ones, you know, answering the phones. They're doing a lot of the grunt work on all that. Uh, like I said, we're in a big transition with our team. Mm -hmm. We typically have three acquisitions managers. Um, two of them just transitioned out just within the last three months. So we are very lean right now than what we typically are. The hence why we've lessened the marketing mm -hmm. and all that. So will we grow back to, to three probably um, in the next, you know, six months or so. But right now we're, we're the leanest that we've been in probably the last seven or eight years. I like it. Can so. you can you describe for us the different roles of like let's say the acquisition manager versus the lead manager? So obviously mm -hmm. like you know what what are their roles and then how are they compensated too? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, do you want specifics on like percentages? If you could, that'd be awesome. Because yeah. like I'm I'm learning this just to like all right, who do we need next and like yeah. how do we set this thing up? Because like that's what I'm always trying to figure out too. Is like mm -hmm. you know we want to set up a successful business and then we're getting to that place where like we're hiring multiple acquisitions guys, but then mm -hmm. like the the roles are kind of skewed where. Um, you know, they're texting, they're cold calling, they're doing all this stuff, then they got to nurture the lead, then they're actually closing mm -hmm. it, then they're locking it up. And then I'm like, okay, then I got to be the manager, the closer or whatever. But then like, eventually, I want to not do that, too. So mm -hmm. then I'm like, who's the next position? How do you compensate them? We have a dispositions person, could that be the same person and like, just figuring out yeah. the best way to structure it. I always like hearing other people's structure. So yeah, if you go yeah. over percentage, that'd be helpful. Yeah. I yeah. think. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so let's just start with like the acquisition managers. Uh, so our acquisition managers typically make 10% of the gross profit on any deal they get. Okay. Uh, so if you make $10,000 on that deal, they make a thousand bucks. The net, the net profit, you mean? Um, yeah, you said pretty gross. Much. Yeah, the net profit. <laughs> so after we pay the expenses for that particular deal. Mm -hmm. So we don't count any marketing yeah. against that deal or anything like right. that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that, that goes on a different, but so if we buy a deal for a hundred grand, we spend, 5,000 on whatever we're doing with it, closing costs, clean out. Now we have 105 in it. Um, and then we sell it for 115. Let's just say we make 10 grand. They make, they make 10% on that, okay. on that, that profit. So acquisition managers 10%. Now we give them a bonus if we make a certain amount of money. So it used to be if we make more than 15 K on that particular property, they get a 5% increase. Wow. So that's, uh, so they make 15% on that. Now we did ch change that to now 20,000 or more. Uh, so if we make 20,000 or more on that particular property, that's where the 5% increase comes in. Mm. So yeah, so they can make anywhere from 10 to 15% on their, on their particular deals. That's okay. acquisition managers. Lead managers are typically hourly roles. Um, so they could range anywhere from 10 bucks to, uh, 15 bucks an hour. Um, we typically give them bonuses too, incentives. Uh, typically their incentives are set 
if they get appointments set or walkthroughs uh, set um, or converted leads. So we'll pay them a certain amount of money, you know, a small bump, typically a flat, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks if, if they get certain things done, appointments set or converted leads. Lead managers are the ones working their phones. So they're the ones answering all the calls that come in. They're their very first point of contact. Um, so their job is really phones, basically. And they also do some of the texting for us. So they're, they're not out. They don't do any walkthroughs. They don't do any of that. So they can live anywhere in the United States. One of them actually lives in uh, you know Philippines or Columbia. One okay. of them is a VA. Uh, one of them does live in Fort Wayne here, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they don't have to live in the, in the, in the local area. Um, so typically they're an hourly role with a bump, uh, dispositions manager, I'd say dispositions, honestly, for the last two or three years has been an easy job. Mm -hmm. Um, throw it out there, not hard to sell. It's become, it's harder now. They got to really work those investor leads now. So typically I'd see, I'd say anywhere from 3% of the deal to 5% of the deal, um, that they typically get. Uh, So that's typically some of the percentages, um, you know, you can do base too. Some people I've seen do instead of ten percent on deals, they do seven percent with a two thousand base. You mm-hmm. know, on acquisitions stuff like that. So I think it just depends. But we do full commissions um, mostly. Yep. So I like yeah. it. Honestly, our structures are very, very similar. Bonus structure is a little bit different, but it's very similar. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Yeah. When you're when you're doing dispo, have you found that MLS is the most effective, or are you looking for? Uh, investors to wholesale deals to before they hit the MLS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Things change. Things shift. Uh, that's just, it's just the same thing. You've got to be prepared to shift, uh, last two, three years, investors send out to investors, they buy it, done deal. Hedge funds, mm-hmm. send the hedge funds, they buying it, done deals. What happens when hedge funds stop buying? Like right now, <laughs> hedge funds have paused. Uh, a lot of them have paused. They've stopped buying. So a lot of these companies out there, they put all their eggs in their hedge fund basket. Oh crap, they can't sell any properties anymore. Mm-hmm. So for us, yeah, last two, three years, investor list now, MLS. Mm-hmm. MLS is still buying. And a lot of our stuff gets sold, honestly, in buyers. Mm-hmm. Investors have paused. Yep. So you have to kind of shift. Um, you know, we do a lot of seller financing too. Uh, that has increased dramatically. Uh, so typically before we might sell one seller financing property per month. Now, sometimes it's like four or five because interest rates has, has, has increased. So a lot of people love to buy it with us as the bank seller financing. So that's a model that's really been helpful for us too. How do you sell that uh, seller financing deal? How do you structure that? And then does your dispo manager in charge of that as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our dispo manager structures it that way. Um, Most of our seller financing deals come through, through agents. So we'll put kind of an option on there to say, Hey, MLS uh, MLS or, or not. Uh, We, we have relationships with it, with them and they might list it on their website or something. Um, How's it structured? Uh, yeah, we're typically asking 25, 30% down. Okay. So these are not small chunks of change. Mm-hmm. Uh, these buyers have a significant amount of money in them. Um, and then we're typically charging 12% interest. 12, okay. Yeah. And uh, so we do it legit. We go through title company. We do some underwriting on that particular buyer. Um, do you use a company for that? Um, there is a company uh, called I think it's called theunderwriter.com. So if you're ever interested in having someone underwrite your seller financing deal, I, I think that's the name of it, but, but Google theunderwriter.com and they actually have a uh, third-party kind of uh, loan originator that they'll, they'll do it for you. Wow. Yeah, to kind of get you through those hoops. Um, do, you have, do you have a servicer as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would highly recommend a loan servicer. Uh, we use a company out of New Mexico called Mountain States Escrow. Uh, a couple other ones that we've viewed is Allied Servicing, FCI, or a couple, a couple big ones. But yeah, loan servicers all the way. I would not do it myself. Okay. So ours are structured very, very good. Um, so it's structured. They put 30%, 30% down, 12% interest. We set up with the loan servicer. We have the borrower pay the fee. So the loan servicer charges a fee. Typically, it's anywhere from 10 to 20 bucks a month. The borrower pays it, so we don't pay it. And then they automatically would draw the money out of the borrower's account, and they automatically deposit it in our account. 
So there's no checks. There's nothing to chase. First of the month, money's there, and the loan servicer tracks it all. Plus, they got a portal. You can go right in, see the history and everything. So I love it. So. Yeah. We actually have one that we're gonna have to do that. So I have multiple questions, man. I love I love getting this information. From you guys. It feels like it feels like now I'm like yeah. I'm not even interviewing like an interview. I'm just like, all right, dude. Now we gotta know all this stuff because yeah. this is important. Yeah. Um. So for uh like, is this mostly multifamily or is this mostly uh, single family or is it a mix of both? Does that really matter? Because we have some stuff that I'm like, this would be great for a seller finance, but it's not selling on the market right now, and I think it's gonna cash flow really well. So mm -hmm. does it work either way? Yeah. So most of our stuff, it can work either way. Most of our stuff is single family. Okay. Uh, most of it is uh, investors. I mean, typically we try to sell uh, to investors. Uh, we have them sign an affidavit that they won't live in the property because there are some hoops to jump through if they, if they're owner occupants. Now, yeah. to be honest with you, on just on this podcast, you know, do we check up and see if they are living there? I mean, not sure. Mm -hmm. Some of them might be, honestly. Um, but we haven't signed an affidavit that they won't live in the property at the closing. Okay. So most of ours are single family. Um, and most of them, some of them sell through the MLS, but some of them sell, honestly, through Facebook Marketplace. Okay. Um, and again, like, uh, there's people out there, if you're selling a $100,000 property, they're putting down, like, $30,000. And a lot of times, we don't fix up the properties that much. Mm -hmm. uh, these aren't, like, rehabbed properties. So they actually go in, and they fix up the property. So we'll sell for 100, they'll put 30% down, 12% interest, then they'll fix up the property. So now the property's worth like 160. Mm. So you get the point. Yeah, uh, that's actually <laughs> gonna be my next question is, the reason that we never wanted to get that much down, I love having a lot of money down, but then something that we always thought about was uh, now they have substantial equity in the property. Have you ever had to deal with that? Or like, is that something that doesn't really even matter for you guys? So I guess my question to you guys would be, what, why would you not want them to have substantial equity? Because honestly, like I look at it from a bank's point of view, like the bank's point of view is like, wouldn't they want substantial equity in the property in case you get the property back? Yeah. So that, that makes a question. Yeah. Yeah, usually uh, one of our mentors does lease options mm -hmm. and he makes it so that like by year two, they kind of have to figure out their mm -hmm. their mortgage and he gets them with a mortgage broker beforehand, mm -hmm. sets them up for success, wants them to be successful. And then at the end of it, he gives them a credit for every on-time payment and that's how he makes sure that they're consistently paying on time. Mm -hmm. However, we've always heard that if you uh, buy a property for hundred grand and you put 20 grand down immediately, you uh, have created um, ownership interest in the property mm -hmm. to the point where the seller cannot take it back anymore without taking you through the full mortgage foreclosure process. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that was always something that mentors of ours are like, well, just have them put 10% down and then make sure that like when it balloons, mm -hmm. they don't have that much equity and put it in the contract that they can't pay any more than their regular monthly payment. Mm -hmm. That way they don't get so far ahead of you that if you ever do have to foreclose on them, it's not a pain in the butt. You can just have them sign a, a deed in lieu of foreclosure, get it done within a couple months instead of going through the year to a year and a half. We've, we've had lawyers for other stuff. We're seriously like kind of done dealing with lawyers at this point. Just, <laughs> yeah. just kidding. We're definitely going to end up I continuing. I have a trial coming up in a uh, few weeks mm. that's been uh, since 17. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> and one one other reason though too is also whenever they have substantial equity, a lot of times their liens will now attach to the property if we go to mm -hmm. take it back. So then whenever if we go to sell it, then now the liens are attached because then now they're in equitable position. So that's what we've thought about, ran into, but mm -hmm. I just wanted to hear your yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah. I think it depends on what your what your your motive and goals are. Uh, so my goals are not to take properties back. Yeah. So that's my goal. Um, if your goal is to possibly take properties back, then I would ask for 500 bucks down. I don't know. I mean, cause you see guys with signs up to say, Hey, get in this property, 500 bucks down. Zero down. Yeah. How many properties they take back? Probably most of them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I've probably done 500 of these over the past 10 years. I've taken back two. Oh, wow. So like we, our foreclosure rate is like hardly non-existent. Okay. Um, have I had a foreclose on properties? Yes. Have I got my money back? Yes. Um, because here's what happens here in Indianapolis. So you take the property back, it goes through, you know, it is a quite the process. I hire an attorney. They do, they, they do everything for me. Costs about 5,000 bucks, maybe six months. Let's just say something like that. It goes to the sheriff's sale and then the property goes up for bid. And you're the first one, just like a bank, you put the minimum bid on there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so your minimum bid has to be your loan amount plus all your attorney fees, 
plus all the late fees, everything, right? So let's just say uh, a guy forecloses, they owe 100 grand. So it goes through six months process. Let's say you pay, pay $10,000, attorney fees, everything. So your minimum bid is 110,000. Let's say the property's worth 150,000. A guy goes to the sheriff's sale. Hey, bidding starts 110. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna bid 110. Okay. Um, and then you get your money back. Mm. And that's it. Mm. So the, yeah, so the so sheriff's sale else... writes you a check. And that typically is what happens. If somebody else bids it up to 150, you're like, okay, I'll just let it go. I don't need it back. Yeah. And then they own the property. They get a sheriff's deed. They can worry about all of the liens and judgments and everything against mm -hmm. the title because the sheriff's deed is supposed to, yeah. you know, take everything off. It. Yeah, they need to quiet, from there. To quiet now, title. Now, why it. do banks end up with properties? Banks end up with properties because they go to the sheriff's sale and there's no equity. Mm. So the bank gets it because they owe way too much money. Nobody mm. wants to buy it. If mm. if if it's a hundred grand that they owe, but the property's only worth a hundred grand, well, nobody's gonna buy it. Mm. Um. So my point is, just kind of, what's your goal? Uh, yes, if you get twenty percent of the property, but I'd really check the Indiana laws too, because I believe that my attorney said, I can't verbatim say this, but I think that she said they lessened the percent amount. It might even be. If they get 10%, you have to foreclose, something like that now. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, so I would check the laws on it. But I think, you know, what's your goal? My goal is not to take back properties. Mm. Um, and if I do take back the property, I want equity because my goal is just to get my money back yeah. um, at the end of the day. Yeah, our goal is definitely not to take it back either. I mean, if you set up all this stuff on the front end, like we don't want it back. But that yeah. was something that we always thought about. But, yeah, that's something that, honestly, we have a couple properties that we're probably going to have to do that with because they're not selling. And, uh, one we bought sight unseen. It's off of uh, Maples in Fort Wayne. The other one's uh, a five unit in Huntington. And it's a cash cow if somebody like wanted to actually get people in there. But like, it's a lot of work for us to screen the tenants, put them in there. And like, dude, we don't have a property management company out there. And I'm like, dude, we don't want to do all that. Like, let, we just want to make $20,000 and move on if we can. But uh, I think now I think that'll be a great deal for seller financing. So I think that's how we'll list it. So have you listed anything on MLS or do you think you should just list it on Facebook Marketplace? Like, what do you think is the most effective way to do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, we have a couple of agents, and they they list them uh, on the or you know. So we list them. A couple agents buy a lot of them uh, that particular way, but they but they actually list them on Facebook Marketplace. So I guess if it were up to me, I would start with Facebook Marketplace. Okay. In yeah. our listings, we put in the description possible private or seller financing available, mm -hmm. and we kind of leave it there. Uh, we don't put a lot of, no, you know, I don't put a lot of numbers in there. We don't do any of that. Then they ask, oh, I see seller financing available. What's that mean? Oh, okay. 30% down, 12% interest. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's, think, all, that's all we say. I think between the pages that we manage too, we could put it on the FISBO group. We could put it on the, the real estate investor group. Then because we own it, we could yeah. put it on Facebook Marketplace to the general public and then also on the MLS. And between those four, we should have it sold within a month. Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking the same thing. Uh, I don't know if Raylene's doing that, but we should definitely make a checklist for like on every single property. Like it's got to be on Facebook Marketplace because that gets so much attention. Yeah. Last question that I have is, do you have a balloon on that? Or are you collecting 12% the whole AM? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So typically, if you're selling to investors, you can do balloons. If you're selling to owner-occupants, you're not supposed to do balloons. Okay. So I would watch that. Um, typically, we do the full the full AM. Now, What's your AM, 20? Uh, so typically, it really just depends. Uh, we typically want at least $500 a month of their payment. Mm -hmm. So some of, the, some of these are a little lower priced. And so like to get 500 bucks a month, <clears throat> it's only a seven-year AM or an eight-year AM. Mm. Um, but you know, high, higher price, we want at least 500 bucks, number one. Uh, but yeah, we'll do 15 to, to 20, typically, at 12% interest. Uh, so here's the thing about 12% interest too. I used to say 12% interest, and other investors would be like, 12% interest? That's a ripoff, that's crazy. Why would, why would I pay 12% interest when I can go to the bank and get 4% interest? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, hey, Go to the bank. That's awesome. I'll sell it to you cash all day at 4% interest. You do that. That's awesome. Guess what? 12% interest in these days is not that bad because mm -hmm. you go to the bank now and it's eight. Yeah. So like, plus they're charging appraisal fees, origination fees, other fees, junk fees. So by the time you add all their fees, it might even be 12% interest the first year or two because I don't charge a lot of the other extra fees on top of that because typically we're already making 
our spread, right? If we buy a property for 100 and sell for 130, we're already making our spread plus 30, uh, 30K spread plus 12% interest. So anyways, so I would really start talking to people because people get hung up on the interest rate, 12% interest. And I'm like, okay, well here, here's ours 12% interest, but here, this other one, you're paying eight plus here's the appraisal fee. Here's the lender fees. Here's the origination fees. Yeah, break it down. Your actual is 10. Yeah. It's actually, ours is better, (laughs) you know? So, yeah. I guess I do have one more question. So uh, do you collect the taxes and insurance to make sure that they don't get behind on that or do you leave that up to them? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think that's just up to you guys. So a lot of people do the taxes and insurance. Um, I typically don't, okay. honestly. So I uh, we track it. So I got a VA that, that goes through every tax period, every in- insurance. So we have a basically a system and a spreadsheet. Here's their insurance documents. Here's when it expires. Make sure it gets renewed. So if it does get renewed, we're reaching out. Hey, your tax, your insurance thing get renewed. You need, insur- need to renew that. Uh, taxes don't get paid. Hey, you need to pay your taxes. You know, or that's default. So we track it, but we don't we don't escrow it. Okay. So, yeah. So that's another thing, just to I don't know. Keep in mind. So again, like our payments are just principal and interest only, and they look they look good. But then also they have to pay insurance and taxes on the side. Got it. So. So you, you, the shirt that you're wearing is iron deep. Yeah. Uh, it seems like you're a faith focused man. Mm-hmm. What is iron deep? It seems like something that you're, uh, almost more passionate about than real estate, just based on your Facebook profile and like the yeah. things that you're promoting consistently. Mm-hmm. What is iron deep? And, uh, yeah, just, just explain it to the, the yeah. viewers. Yeah. So like I said, about three years ago, I was able to step out of the real estate business. So I was thinking about, okay, what's next? I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a creator, I wanna, I wanna impact people's lives, do things. Uh, I've been involved in a lot of communities, mastermind groups, uh, real estate groups, and the uh, thing that I just kind of kept noticing was, you know, guys would, would become really successful. Uh, they um, would make a lot of money, uh, but something was, was still kind of just kind of missing out of their life. Uh, and obviously I'm a man of faith, so like, hey man, I would love to do, I love entrepreneurs, and love creators so i want to do a group that involves that that type of person that type a driven personality Uh, a man of faith so i wanted to have that foundation of speaking that same language because you guys know you know we go to mastermind groups and everyone um we speak the entrepreneur language but we don't speak that language as much and then i felt like a group of men you can speak a little bit of of a depth to it that don't that don't get with uh, maybe women in a room nothing gets women but just some of the the rawness and the vulnerability of what men go through i wanted that so that's really what iron deep was born out of uh, we just launched our very first event last year and and like i said it's a it's basically a business owner men of faith community um you know that we get pretty real uh, we take the masks off uh, and we just you know we try to help each other and sharpen each other uh, in that way our next event is in june 25th is that the one in Utah? Uh, this one's actually in northern Georgia. It's in Helen, Georgia. So typically we're, we're undistracted in the mountains somewhere. Um, we run out of a, a big, big place. Everyone's sleeping under one roof. Mm-hmm. So it's not hotels or anything like that. Uh, so really just is, it sets the environment of, of reflection, of connection um, that you wouldn't get at a five-star hotel in San Diego like every other mastermind does. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it didn't look like they were very expensive either. It was like $1,500. How, how long are they typically? Yeah. So these are basically three nights. So okay. we fly in. Uh, so yeah, that's 20, June 25th to the 28th. So we come in Sunday night. Uh, we leave Wednesday morning. So yeah, this one's twenty four fifty. So uh, the one in Georgia. So yeah, it's not very expensive. Uh, like I said, we're just getting, getting started. We're getting people in the door. A lot of people are getting excited about it. But that's kind of kind of what we're doing right now. We're and but but our goal is to really just develop that community of men, uh, really wanting that in their life, and it's like a brotherhood uh, to really just do life together. Um, because you know my experience, I don't know about you guys, but we meet other guys, we meet other entrepreneurs, and we talk business. But then there's that life piece that's just missing. Like I don't really know them; they don't really know me, and this breaks through all that. Mm. So what would somebody expect to get from mm. like what uh what life lessons or what what activities are scheduled or 
um, if you can give us some, because I know that like yeah. some of it might be confidential, mm-hmm. but as far as like what gets covered during that time and what would someone expect to feel, see, hear, mm-hmm. experience, grow from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's a very, uh, it's a very real masks off, uh, you know, and I kind of lead that way. Like, so, uh, you know, I maybe share some things in this group that I've been friends with these guys for years that they did not know, particularly about Brett. Um, so that's the feel of the feel of the group. Very raw, uh, you know, and it is a faith foundation. So, you know, it comes from the Christian faith foundation. So we do, there is worship there. There is uh, fellowship, breaking bread together. We do some activities that kind of, um, you know, break down the walls, I guess, and get people, I guess, radically honest with themselves. Uh, I would, I would probably describe it as that is a lot of times we, we hear these lies, we're honestly lying to ourselves, and it really just breaks down the walls for people to get really radically honest with themselves and in an environment that it's safe to get radically honest with other people that are really going to be there to encourage them, to support them, to not share with other people outside of that. And that, that's the feel of it. So what people learn, I mean, like I said, the faith foundation, we do, obviously it's all entrepreneurs and business guys. So it is business focused and leader focused. Um, but even outside of that, I mean, some of these guys are suffering in their own four walls of their homes, right? Their families are suffering. So, you know, we might dig into that. Um, and then their health, it's, it's got a health component too. So really it's the foundation of, of, of faith, finances and business, family and health. Those are the four areas that we're like really digging into. Where did the words iron deep, where did that come from? Is yeah. it like scripture based or mm-hmm. is it, what, what do the words mean? Yeah. So it kind of goes from the Proverbs, iron sharpen iron, uh, mm-hmm. friend sharpens a friend. So that's where iron comes from. Men get that. We're like, oh, I want to, I want to sharpen other men. I want to be around other men. If you ask every man, like how many really deep men friendships do you have? And if they really think about it, a lot of them will say, zero, right? <laughs> like nobody. Um, so really it kind of breaks through that. So iron sharpens iron comes from, from the, the Bible and the Proverbs. Uh, de- deep is really just from just that deep relationship with God and each other. Um, so that's really what, it, really what it comes out to, that deep connection. Awesome. So. And how many events have you done so far? You said you started a year ago. How many events have you done in yeah. that time frame? So our first event was just in last September of 2022. So we've, wow. we've only done one. That's awesome. <laughs> we just started, launched. We had about 26 guys at our first one. Um, this one in Georgia, like I said, this is not going to be a big group, max 30 people really wow. is how much we can have. That's all that that's max. So, uh, so yeah, it's not a big group, very intimate. Um, you know, we're not looking to fill up 300 person stadium or not, or just, you know, conference rooms. That's not what this is. This is about, we're living under one roof, eating together, living together, fellowshipping together. So you get to know people pretty well. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. We've done some self-development seminars similar to that. So, yeah. yeah, it's been very helpful for development and then for just self-awareness. So, yeah, yeah it's crazy because awesome. you think three days, you're like, oh, three days. I mean, what can you do in three days? And then you go do this stuff and you're like, man, I haven't done this my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like and it, it, it's time is so slow. Mm-hmm. It's like because you're undistracted and it's just like, man, this day seems like it was a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you just crazy. We're, we're, we're so rushed and hurried. Mm-hmm and just going from this to that. And I am too, um, just to get undistracted for three ga- three days, spending time with other guys, like-minded. It's, it's pretty awesome and pretty impactful as you guys know. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So it looked like you were uh, a family focused man too. Um, you've got your wife, Karen, four children. Wow. That's, I mean, compared to a lot of people, that's a lot of kids anyways. I mean, I know yeah. back in the day, it used to be popular to have big families, but you got a big family. Yeah. How do you manage all of that? How do you, uh, what is your advice to someone on relationships, on keeping a good family unit, mm. that sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I don't always get it right. I would say that there's been ups and downs in my family life. Uh, and, and, and that's just the life of a business owner, entrepreneur, right? And everyone, we're, we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to balance it. I am not perfect. Um, but the things that I have learned is, you know, I heard a guy uh, one time had gone through a family divorce and, and you know, and, and just a lot of that stuff. And I've had some stuff like that. You know, my, my oldest daughter came from a previous relationship. I was not married at that time. We never got married. But 
just a co-parent in the last 16 years, she's 16 now, mm. has been a struggle. Mm -hmm. uh, so I know what that's like. That's one of the reasons why I moved to Fort Wayne, just because of that situation. Um, so it is, it's a struggle, it's tough. But I heard one guy, again, just going back to that, he said he was a very successful business guy, but had gotten divorced, the business had taken him, and uh, you know, taken his energy and his health and just his, his marriage, like he was so focused on business, he, he let this, this kind of fall, right? And he said, there is no public success that will ever replace private failure, right? And I just remember that because you can be successful, you can be on the podcast, you can be on stage, you can be doing all this stuff, but if something is crumbling at home, which is like most of your life is there and behind those closed doors that no one ever sees, is it worth it? And I just, I started to ask myself that, is it really worth to make a million, 10 million, 100 million, whatever that sacrifice is gonna be, but if I'm not, if this is not sweet inside of my home, if it's not, if I'm neglecting my wife or my kids and my relationship with my wife is roommates and we don't even, are not intimate together and we're not talking about that and our kids don't even wanna be around us, like, yeah, it's just not worth it. Mm -hmm. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. Now, can you make a million, 10 million, 100 million? And, and if you can do that and still have that sweetness inside of your home, I'd say go for that. But it has got to be your priority because it's not worth it. Ask any man, ask any man. I mean, I think Bill Gates, ask Bill Gates, right? Ask him, billionaire, billionaire, was it worth it? Maybe he sacrificed some things with his marriage and sometimes mm -hmm. that. Ask the billionaires that sacrifice everything and end up, yeah, in that, in that situation. So I would just say, how do I do it? Um, you've got to be intentional. You gotta make it a priority. I do not get it right most of the time, but I got to take a step back and that's where these things, I got to reflect what is most important in my life? How can I be intentional about these relationships? Um, it's not always the most sexiest thing, mm -hmm. and uh, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At the end of the day, it is worth it, so. <laughs> so you've you've had a lot of success over uh, the years. You, you seem to have a like uh, genuinely humble posture. Was there ever a time when you did get an ego where you're like, dude, I'm something, I'm starting oh, to do yeah. well. And then like you had to like kind of wrestle with that and then like go back to self-reflection and mm -hmm. is it up and down or have you like leveled it off or walk mm -hmm. us through that if that ever happened? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, yeah, man, I was a, let's see, I bought my first house in 2007. I was about 27, I guess, 27 years old about. I'm 43 now. Um, yeah, I was an egomaniac. Uh, you know, I came from a teaching world. I was making $13,000 as a substitute teacher. Then the next year I made 100. Then the next year I made 400 or something. So, like, you go that fast, that quick, you think you're just invincible. Mm -hmm. And you want to brag about it to everybody. Uh, so I remember bragging. remember just thinking I was the, just the crap, right? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and I, I got humbled. Honestly, it was my it was my relationship uh, that that ended. So I was with my my daughter's mom for about four years. My daughter was two, and then had the big house, nice car, boat, everything. And then she ended up leaving, and that was a private failure for me. I was like, man, I'm like all this stuff, and I'm like, I'm I'm alone. Mm -hmm. Like I don't I'm alone, right? And that was just this huge wake up call for me. And that's really what brought me to to faith. Honestly, I was 30 at that time. It brought me to faith. Um, so my advice is this, uh, the greatest business lesson, the greatest business virtue I think is humility. Uh, and humility is so hard. Mm -hmm. Like you can't wake up and force humility. Like, oh man, I just need to be humble today. <laughs> need to think about other people because you're so selfish. Mm -hmm. Like deep down you are a selfish person. Mm -hmm. So you gotta fight it every single day. And you gotta think about, okay, how can I put other people first? And you gotta be intentional. And, and it's so sweet when you start thinking about other people. It's so sweet when you when you do something and you see them win, and it's just contagious. So um, so thank you for saying that. I am not humble to the core. I am pretty selfish person. I gotta be. I gotta fight against it. I gotta be intentional for that. But um, but I think you know if you read Good to Great, mm -hmm. um, he says the greatest virtue is humility. If you think of the greatest companies, it's because they have a leader that is humble. They constantly think about their clients or their team, other people focused. So that's the greatest. If you have an ego, is you're going to get knocked down. Um, we are going to get knocked down. If you think you're the, the crap, 
this is all temporary, guys. I mean, your money's temporary. Everything's temporary. So you will get knocked down uh, one of these days, and mm-hmm. then you're going to get humbled. Uh, so What's the, I would just say start now. Yep. And we're all, we're all people. I've interviewed people on the podcast that are billionaires. I'm just like, dude, this guy, he's just a, he's just a person. He mm-hmm. just has the same feelings that I have. Yep. <laughs> so what would you say is like a tactic? So like, you know, like you said, you can't just wake up and force yourself into humility. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, I'm honestly struggling with right now as and like, I'm like going through it. I'm like, man, why, why do you need recognition? Why do you need credit? Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm, I'm working with some of our acquisitions guys because, you know, he's 19 years old. He made almost $200,000 last year. So then same thing happens for him. He went from making no money to making a stupid amount. So then I'm helping him with it, too, and it's something that he's struggling with. So what are some tactful mm-hmm. ways that you found that, like, you do force yourself into that? Because it honestly is a conscious mm-hmm. decision at the same mm-hmm. time. But Yeah, yeah. I'd say force yourself to be in situations that make you humble or uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I've done, I've taken my daughter on these, that we do mission trips to Guatemala. Now, if you want to humble yourself and you think you got problems, go to go to mission trips, go to third world countries, the people that live on the dirt, they have no concrete floors, they have no bathroom, they're pooping in the ground. Uh, they're just, start putting yourself in those situations. And that really humbles yourself real, mm-hmm. real fast. So that's one thing I've done. Uh, but just on a day-to-day level, uh, I would just say, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the cliche, try to be, try to be grateful for what you have. Mm-hmm. It's easier said than done. Uh, cause you know, we wake up and we got, you know, five fires to put out with houses and clients and sellers. And we're like, oh, my life today's terrible. And yeah. then, but you look at it and you're like, well, no, it's not, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just trying to, trying to do that. I just say, you know, is, is there intentional, and I think you guys did this, you did this on my podcast, is there intentional things that you can really do to pour in other people just to try to f- take the focus off yourself? And mm-hmm. that's just thing I try to figure out, okay, how wh- how can I put mine in a, in a position to pour in other people, whether it's my team and start talking about their dreams, their goals, you know, what do they want? And it takes you back. Like, it's like, oh, what, do you, what is your, like I, take to, I talk to one of my team members, he's my acquisition manager, what's your dream? Like, I remember this, this is like four years ago. I talked to my acquisition manager, what's your dream? He's like 32. And he's like, man, I've always just wanted to own a home. Mm. My, fam- my family, I grew up, we've, we've never owned a home ever. I want to own a home. And I was like, I didn't know that. And he got to buy, he got to build his first house. Wow. So I got to see that. Uh, and I got to celebrate with him. Um, and then it turned into, man, I would just want to own a rental. I just want to own a rental property. I'm buying houses for you guys all the time. I just only own my own rental. And then he got to own his own rental. I, mm. And I financed it for him. Um, just start doing stuff like that. And just seeing, you know, just start opening up people's dreams. And, and can you help them with it? I'll yeah. just start doing stuff like that. Now I got another question. Sorry, I keep asking. Most of these <laughs> questions are for me now, honestly, at this point. But hopefully it'll help other people too. So I've actually been doing that. And have you ever felt any, um, I don't know the right word, but like a, like almost pressure burden because now now I'm taking on seven eight nine other people's dreams and aspirations mm-hmm. and then now I feel like it's my responsibility to now make sure that they accomplish those and so mm-hmm. then I'm now feeling the burden of all that to where now I gotta I feel like I have to accomplish it for all of them mm-hmm. um, and so then I'm like dang like I want to help them do that but it's like also taking away my life in another sense to where I'm like, now I'm doing this for other people and now I can't even live my life. Mm-hmm. Have you ever experienced that at all or? Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. Um, yeah, that's a tough, uh, leadership's a burden. Uh, I think a guy said that one time, I think his name is Patrick Lencioni. He put a book out there called motive. So he wrote some of the books he wrote. Um, the five dysfunctions of a team, right? And just books like that. He wrote a book called Motive. What is your motive as a leader? A lot of people want to be leaders. People don't want to be followers. They want to be leaders. They want to be seen. They want to be recognized. They want to be on stage. But their motive behind leadership is for those reasons. Real leaders, it's, 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 it's a burden. Mm-hmm. Because it's heavy sometimes. Um, because you are you are taking on their burdens, you are taking on their their dreams. Now you can't do it for them. I think you got to sometimes separate yourself. Like you can't want it more than they do. Mm-hmm. We do. We want it more than they do. 
Like, because we know what it takes. We know the sacrifice, and we know that they can live up to that, live live out their dreams, and we want it more than they can. And that I think you have to separate yourself. You can't want it more than more than them. But I will tell you that um, if you're going to be a leader, I'm going to tell you this right now. If you if you desire to be a leader, and you can say, you know, this is a burden because leadership is a burden. People want to follow you, and you want to impact people. Maybe take the recognition out of it and just say this is a this is a burden because if I really want to impact people, it's like I need to, you know, sacrifice into that. So, so I don't know the answer to that. I still struggle with with that because I want it more than my team. I want it more than other people. Um, but at the same time, like you do have a bi- a business to run. You do have to make the numbers work. And at the end of the day, I guess you can't you can't want it m- more than they want it. Mm-hmm. And if they want these dreams, then that's great. Let's think about the math problem, but they still have to put in the time, the work, the sacrifice. And if they're not willing to do that, then you know, yeah. you can't you gotta stop somewhere and draw that boundary. You gotta draw the boundary somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that helps you or not. Probably not, but I still struggle with that yeah. a lot. <laughs> well, we're getting close to the end here. Do you want me to ask him the final yep. question? Okay. So uh, this is a question we ask everybody at the end. And uh, it is your final day. So let's see. You're 43 now? Mm-hmm. All right. So 60, oh no, 57 years from now. You're 100 years old. You're on your deathbed. That's you're dying. Pretty, that's pretty old. For, you made it. You made it, made it all the way to 100. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody that you love is around you. You're dying and you have a final message to the world. Mm. It could be a billboard in Times Square. It could be your mem- your memoir. I'm prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a sentence, a mantra. It could be a quote that means a lot to you. But this is your final message to the world. This is your last mm. uh, bit of knowledge that you think that the world needs to hear. Mm. And what is your legacy? What's mm. your legacy message? What comes <laughs> up? You can just, you can just, you know, trust your unconscious mind. Just there let it go. come to you. There and you go. Now it's good. Now it's good. <clears throat> um, yeah, man, that's a, that's a great question. I don't have like the billboard answer probably. I've studied this a lot though. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love listening to these things. I love listening to, you know, what are the five biggest regrets of dying people you know they did a survey of 95 years old i think that the the requirement was they had to be 95. like what's your biggest regrets and obviously you know the the number one the the regret that that we all fall into the trap of that is not on there is man i wish i would have worked more you know i wish i would have worked more that's not on there (laughs) way far from it so that's i know that's not on there i think the biggest regrets though the people is you know number one i would say you know get radically honest and just be true to what, just be true to yourself. I think the, the number one regret is people were not true to themselves. Mm. Um, I think the biggest regret that I've had over the 16 years is I kept, I continuously try to please other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to, to win the approval of other people and do things because other people might applaud me or, or whatever. And I sacrifice so much for this, for this other people. And honestly, at the end of the day, no one really cares that much. Um, so be true to yourself and so get radically honest and be true to yourself. I think, but, but, but more than that, I think that people, um, play it safe. Um, I think people play it safe and they, I think one of the biggest regrets is I wish I would have just taken more risks mm-hmm. and I'm a big risk taker. Like I risk it. I put it all on black, not, not gambling advice. <laughs> let's, let's go all in. Let's just go for it. Let's do it. I don't care. Let's just risk it all. And that's just me. That's my personality. My wife, she likes to play it safe. So I say, just, man, just risk it. What do you got to lose? Stop. I say, stop wasting your time on non-essential stuff and just risk it all for what you really want. Because you live once, you got one race, and why not go all in? I just say that. Awesome. <laughs> Love so, it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, yeah. Well, that is it, man. Thank That's you it. so much yeah, for, thanks. for coming thanks, on. guys. Tony, Dakota, appreciate it. How can yeah. our uh, listeners get a hold of you? Do you? Is there anything that you want to pitch, like Iron Deep? Do you want to give them that website URL? Yeah. They're a Christian man listening, want to yeah. do a retreat? Yeah, I'd say, man, if you're if you're in that seasoned business owner, man, uh, 
the you know the whether you're you're a Christian or just interested in faith doesn't have to be we've had people that, that aren't and, and it still come I'd say yeah irondeep.com is, is one of the best places check out our website irondeep.com and uh, in our real estate you know we're called simple wholesaling so we have simplewholesaling.com and you can email me at brett b-r-e-t-t at simplewholesaling.com and go from there so yeah both of those so real estate wise simple wholesaling but yeah I'm, one of my passions is just the iron deep so awesome yeah Thanks, guys. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with our viewers? Actually, you guys are awesome. <laughs> Thanks. So keep listening to to this podcast uh, and go all in. Um, stop wasting time and just start moving forward. Just take one step in front of the other. I think we're all in this season of we don't – I don't care who you are. You might have been like me doing it 16 years. You might be doing it 30 years. You might just be getting started and you're like, yeah, I'm just trying to figure it out. And I'll just say we're, we're all just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm just trying to figure it out what, what the next move is. So like, you're, you're not alone, whether you're new or 30 years in, I just say, we're all trying to figure out, okay, what's our next step and let's just go all in. Let's do it. There like you go. It. <laughs> cool. Thanks again for coming on, man. Yeah. I got so many notes. And so I'm sure that honestly, like uh, I got a lot of value out of this. And so hopefully a lot of other people did too. So yeah, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, and, thanks uh, guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for watching. See you on the next one. Peace.